Now go my hands full in newsprint, but anyway, never mind. Turn with me to Acts, Acts chapter 8, just for any visitors, and we've one or two visitors with us this morning, and we welcome you in, in the Lord's name. Uh, we are systematically uh, working our way through the book of Acts, just picking up where I left off last time, um, and continuing our way through. Uh, the book of Acts, and, and so this morning we come to Acts chapter 8, and uh, I'm going to just read the first eight verses of Acts chapter 8. And as we read and as we hear it read, we, we remind ourselves that this is the word of God. Acts chapter 8. And Saul was there, giving approval to his death. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he, evil spirits came out of many. And many paralytics and cripples were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So read God's precious and inspired word. Let me start with a question. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know if you've ever been asked that question or if indeed you might even be thinking it yourself or thought it yourself. But it was a question that kind of came to me as, as I was preparing this week. Because last time we looked at Acts chapter 7, we noted there the stoning to death of Stephen. Stephen, you may recall, was a young man who was filled with the Holy Spirit who was full of God's grace and God's power. Stephen was a man who did many great wonders and miraculous signs among the people. A godly young man, yet brutally stoned to death by angry religious people. What's going on? Surely it would have made sense to let this young man live a few more years. Do a bit more preaching. See what God would be able to do through him. Yet that was not to be. And Stephen, as we saw last time, was stoned to death. He fell asleep. He went to be with his Lord, who stood ready to accept him home. And what happens in chapter 8 
is that the focus, if you like, switches to another young man. One who was a friend of Stephen. One who, like Stephen, was full of the Holy Spirit. One like who Stephen also went and preached and performed miraculous signs. And who, as we will see over the next few weeks, God used greatly in taking the gospel into new territory. So you have these two young men. One brutally stoned to death and one greatly being used by God. And as I said, Acts 8 begins the gospel extending into new territory. Indeed, what is happening from Acts 8 onwards is the fulfilling of Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus told his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which is now happening, and in all Judea and Samaria, which is just about to happen, and to the ends of the earth, which as we work our way through Acts, we will see happening and is happening even up until this very day. And over all of this, there is a God who is seated on his throne, who knows exactly the why of every situation. Nothing is out of his control. And so as we come to these few verses that, that, that we read together, I want to just share with you three things. Three things relating to the early church. They were persecuted, they were scattered, and they preached. Three really simple things. Firstly, the church was persecuted. Luke tells us that on that day, that is the day that Stephen was martyred, there broke out against the church in Jerusalem a great persecution. And the persecution was so great that everyone who was a believer except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The devil wasted no time in seeking to destroy the church. And actually he didn't really care how that was done. Whether that was done by, by stoning Stephen or whether that was done by causing people to flee persecution, and let me just pause there and saying fleeing from a place of persecution is not a new thing, and we should be understanding and we should be sympathetic towards such people today who are fleeing persecution, rather than just instantly categorizing, even at times demonizing them. Or, by dragging people from their homes and throwing them into prison. A great persecution. So great that to be a Christian here was costly. Flight, prison, death awaited. There was a cost to their faith. And let me just say, brothers and sisters, that that is no different today. Even as we sit here in the warmth and in the comfort and in the safety and in the freedom that we have, there are others 
in other parts of the world right now, right now, that for what we read here is a reality, right now. In fact, even as I was preparing this part of, of, of the message, I was reminded of what the prayer in, in the Open Doors prayer guide was that very morning. Open Doors is a, an organization that you, many of you will be aware of that, that, that takes a great interest and supports the persecuted church and, and they produce a prayer diary um, every month and, and I get that through the post and, and, and pray every day for the persecuted church. Well, on Tuesday, this is what the prayer was. Over 100,000 people have fled Afrin and its surrounding villages since Turkish troops took control of the city. Among them are 300 Christians, mainly Kurdish believers, who are now in refugee camps. Pray for those trying to help these people and pray that they will know the presence and comfort of Jesus in the midst of their suffering. Let's just take a moment just to do that and to pray for those facing persecution. Lord, we thank you that we can gather here in complete freedom and safety. And yet we are conscious that in many parts of the world, even now, there are Christians who are suffering for their faith. Some may be in prison. Some may be facing beating, some still even today are martyred for the cause. And Lord, we would commit them to you. We pray, God, that amidst it, they would know your presence and your comfort and that you would be with them even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Persecution of the church today is alive and well. And we need to be aware of it and we need to be prepared for it, and we need to pray about it. And at the very center of this great persecution that broke out that day appears to be a man by the name of Saul. We read of him there being present at the stoning of Stephen, and indeed giving his approval of it. And then in verse 3, we are told that such is his zeal that he began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women. He put them in prison. Later on in Acts, he will testify that he believed that what he was doing was serving God. <laughs> A kind of terrorism being done in the name of religion. Nothing new under the sun. But we'll come to him again later on, probably in a few weeks' time. The point that I want to hammer home here is that for these early believers, life was not a bed of roses. They were persecuted. They had to flee. We're told that they mourned the loss of Stephen. They were imprisoned. And as we will see, they were scattered. Notice, however, that we are told that the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. I think that's significant. 
They were the leaders of the church. They had a responsibility to, as F.F. Bruce says, stay at their posts. And what an encouragement that must have been to all the others who were being rounded up and imprisoned and had to flee, that they saw their leaders standing firm, staying put. Leadership brings responsibility. And the apostles stayed put. The church was persecuted. Secondly, the church scattered. The church was scattered. As I said, all, all except the apostles and, and obviously those who had been imprisoned, scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. They were at this point literally fleeing for their lives. I wonder, I, I love to ask where we're talking about this yesterday and the, the sermon preparation class, how I love to to I just ask questions of the text. I wonder how they felt as they fled. I wonder how they felt as they saw some of their family and friends dragged off to prison. Do you never find yourself asking, maybe it's just me, asking these questions? Do you ever find yourself asking the question like I asked at the beginning, why are... Why did bad things happen to good? These are good people. They're believers. Yet they're fleeing. Where is God in it all? Why doesn't he act? Why doesn't he do something? You ever felt like that? We'll see something similar tonight with Joseph. And okay, I know that, that I guess most of us know the outcome. We can begin to understand the reasoning behind it all when we know what the reason is. They didn't know that. They were living by faith. And what we begin to see unfolding here, and it will work its way through Acts and then into the letters of Paul and such like, is the beginning in many ways of, of, of what I would call a theology of suffering. God is not idle. And God is not ignorant as to what is going on. The Lord actually feels the pain of his people. That that is apparent if you were to turn to Acts chapter 9 verse 4. We'll get to that in a few weeks' time. We're on the road to Damascus. When the Lord confronts Saul on the road to Damascus, notice what the Lord says to Saul. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? The persecution that caused the scattering was used, as we will see, to further the gospel. And the book of Acts and church history down through the ages right up to this very present time shows us clearly that suffering is part and parcel of a Christian's life. Paul 
writing in Philippians 3.10, speaks of wanting to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. And we all say amen to that. Yeah, we want to know Christ. And we want to know that resurrection power. But the verse goes on to say, and to share in the fellowship of his sufferings. And the two go together. How important is knowing Jesus to you? How serious do you take your faith? It was life and death for these early believers. They were committed to the core. One writer says this, If it is our consuming passion, we will not resent suffering because midst the pain we have the underlying assurance that it is leading us to achieve our deepest ambition in life. To know Jesus. To know him and the power of his resurrection. And as these early believers are, are, are persecuted, and as these early believers are scattered, God has got a great plan, and God has got a great purpose in it all. And brother, sister, you might be going through a difficult time. You may be wondering, why this? Why that? Where is God? Well, God is where he always is. He is seated in his heaven and he is working out his purposes through his people for his glory and for your good. A good theology, a good understanding of suffering in the believer's life is essential. It will help us maintain joy in the midst of it. And it will enable us to turn suffering into something constructive for the kingdom as it does here. The church was persecuted. The church was scattered. And thirdly, the church that preached Although very quickly, Luke moves the focus onto Philip, and we'll come to him, I deliberately use the heading that I have. I deliberately haven't put Philip preached, although he did. I have put the church that preached. preached. <laughs> because notice what we are told. Those who had been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. That is to say, friends, the preaching, the sharing of the gospel message, which is what here the word means here, was something that they all did. Every single one of them. 
Yes, we'll come to look at Philip and we will see his particular methods and how God used him. However, the, re the really important point to grasp is that evangelism, telling people of Jesus, sharing the good news, was the responsibility of every believer. Don't miss what Luke tells us. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. It wasn't left to the apostles back in Jerusalem. It wasn't left to a few like um, Philip or, or some of the others who were appointed into the, uh, as, as deacons in, in chapter 6. Uh, no, it was everyone. It wasn't just some who fled. It was all and they did it everywhere. Recently, been looking at evangelism and how we can be effective in it. And yes, there are courses. And yes, there are methods. And they're fine. However, all of that is no use at all if we don't actually speak of Jesus wherever we go. And forgive me here for the bluntness, but kind of spare me the quote wrongly attributed actually to St. Francis of Assisi when he was allegedly, and he didn't say it, preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. Yes, how we live matters, but we need to tell people of Jesus. Extra, extra. Read all about it. And here is the early church. They are persecuted. They are scattered. They're literally fleeing for their life. Yet when they reach their new destination, they speak of Jesus. They preach the word. When did you last speak to someone about Jesus? doesn't have to be a full-blown sermon, actually probably best not. doesn't have to be a judgmental message and shouldn't be a judgmental message. Why did you just last speak of Jesus? Who he is. What he has done. The difference that he's made in your life. You see, friends, personal evangelism is so important. You can reach people that others can. And while it is true that God calls some to be evangelists, Ephesians 4, yes, God calls some to be evangelists, he calls us all to evangelize. Tell out my soul the greatness of the Lord. They were all at it. And that despite facing persecution, that despite being driven out of their homes, they, they didn't feel sorry for themselves. Nor did they kind of wrap themselves up in their own wee world into a little holy huddle. No, they spoke, they preached the word, they spread the message of new life. That is to be found in Jesus to whoever they met 
and wherever they went. Here's a wee challenge for you this week. I hope you're up for it. Pray at the beginning of each day for an opportunity just to speak even a word about Jesus to someone and see what happens. You'll be amazed. They all preached. They all shared Jesus. Then in verse 5, Luke switches the attention on to Philip. We are told that Philip goes down to a city in Samaria. And actually that in itself was a very brave step because as we'll discover next week, there wasn't much love lost between the Jews and the Samaritans. But brothers and sisters, everybody needs a gospel. And notice carefully what we are told. And notice carefully the order of which we are told it. Verse 5, Philip proclaimed the Christ there. The first basic point of evangelism, forgive the simplicity, our message needs to be of Jesus. And then in verse 6, when the crowds heard, and in order for the crowds to hear, Stephen had to speak. And yes, they saw the miraculous signs, but again, and now for the third time, notice how the focus is on what was said. They all paid close attention to what he said. The signs followed the preaching of the word. It is what was said that caught them, not what they saw. And yes, we are told that, that, that Philip did signs and miracles and, and the evil spirits came out of many and, and, and many paralytics and many cripples were healed. Brothers and sisters, when the word of God is preached in power and authority, there will be signs following. People will be changed. And I, we, us, we need a renewed confidence in the power of the gospel. We need to learn not to be ashamed of it. And like those who are scattered and like Philip, we need to preach it wherever we go and to whoever we meet. As Paul says in Romans, if we don't do that, how can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Who will you share Jesus with this week? Notice the impact that this preaching brought. We're told, verse 8, there was great joy in that city. The transforming message of the gospel that turns lives around when it is preached and when it is believed brings not just joy but great joy. How joyful are you this morning? 
You should have seen your faces there, but anyway. Started with a question. Why did bad things happen? Stephen's death. The persecution. The scattering. The imprisonment that it brought. Well, here. It enabled many people in Samaria and Judea to hear this good news. It enabled many, as we saw here, to respond to the message of Jesus and his love for the people. You see, friends, God works in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. He goes to great lengths so that people will hear the message. As you hear the message, what is your response? There are only two types of people. Either we believe and therefore then we are called to follow Jesus and share him with others. Or as yet we have not believed. There is no in between. And perhaps God has guided you here this morning so that you might not only hear but that you also might believe. The early church was persecuted. It was scattered. But it preached and it grew and it brought great joy to the city of Samaria. May God by his spirit enable us this week to go out and share Jesus and bring great joy to the city of Elgin and the surrounding area. Let's pray. Father,